This man's name is Kieran Beefy Blake from 365 Days of Sport. This is the first time I'm meeting Kieran. It's uh, lovely to see you and lovely to meet you. How are you? Great to be here. Now, can you, for our first timers, tell your yes. story again and you can tell me. Um, you set a record, a world record. Yes. What did you do? Officially a world record holder. In, in fact, I, it's officially the world's biggest sports fan. Whoa. That's not a there bad you title, well, is it? You'll fit right in here at this radio station. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. Um, yeah, the world's biggest sports fan. I, I set out to go and see 365 different sports in the space of 365 days. But unfortunately... Yeah, ambitious. It was ambitious. It took me three years to plan right. to actually put everything together, research all the sports, research schedules, and work out how we could get there on time and, uh, well, how we could get there, just full stop, generally. So, yeah, we set out, myself and um, Rob, a good mate of mine who I used to live with in, uh, in Caulfield, and uh, we set out October 2015. We started with the Speedway Grand Prix at Etihad Stadium, Yep. and then uh, we went all around the world. We went to Japan, Mexico, the States, Greenland. Greenland? We went to Greenland for the Eskimo Olympics, yeah. Uh, we went to Norway for the Youth Winter Olympics, um, and we just, we literally for six months traveled wherever we could trying to find different sports. We even took part in a few. I'm Wales's number ranked Christmas tree thrower. Oh really? Yeah, we 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 uh, entered the Irish Christmas tree throwing championships. Yep. And uh we got to the quarter final of the World Marbles Championships. <laughs> so uh How many people out of interest were entered into these uh events? Uh into the Irish Christmas tree throwing com- competition. I think there was probably about probably about 100 people really? t- turned up on the day, yeah. Yeah. In the marbles there was teams from Germany. Um in our team we had the American Marbles champion. She was uh she was in our team. So she carried you basically. Well, unfortunately in the quarter final she got knocked out in the first round of our match and I uh, I'm Put my hand up here and said, "No, I had to. Uh, I had to carry the side. You had to step up." And we actually lost our team. We lost to the eventual world champion. So we, I could have put my hand up and said, "I am the world two or the 2016 world marbles champion." Can I ask you this question? How yeah. did you afford it? Where did you all this I, I money come from? I didn't. I didn't afford it at all. And uh, you can ask my bank manager now. He's uh, they're killing me. Um, look, we had a we had people people supported us along the way. Um, you know, and I sold a kidney. That was good. that was useful. Uh, <laughs> look, and um, you know, it, people came on board and they they sponsored us and donated, and we had we did have an, a, a backer that tried to kind of help us along the way, but they could only go. No so doubt, far. you were fasting yourself and uh, and staying off alcohol and all those types of things to save money. Well, regular listeners to this show will know I'm not allowed to drink anyway because about two weeks before we started this whole thing, I had a massive uh, attack of gout. And that has stopped me drinking ever since. So, really? Yeah, I'm not allowed to not allowed to drink anymore. And because we were traveling so much, we actually did 120 flights in that six month Shit. or that you know that eight month period. Uh, we did over 400,000 kilometers, uh, 25 countries, like I said. Um, and if you if gout sufferers out there, and we've chatted about this before, if you ever get gout on a plane, that's worse than childbirth. Really, it really is. And you can't walk, get out, walk around. You can't put your feet up in the air like you're supposed to. Uh, it, it's the worst thing. So to avoid getting gagged on this trip, um, no drinking for me. So Beefy Blake is with us. What have you got lined up for this hour? What are we going to talk about? Well, the first thing, like like I said, a uh, bit of, you know, it's towards the end of the soccer season, both in Australia or the professional season in Australia, I should say, and the, the season in, in the UK. Uh, shout out to the victory. Um, mm. Bit unfortunate. Uh, but I said last week, you know, I thought the benches were going to be the difference. And Melbourne, Melbourne victory of, you know, since Bozanich went away, 
They've only had 11 plays, realistically. And Muscat's hands were tied, and that's why he didn't make any changes during you know regulation time. And it, the, just the difference is they, didn't, they weren't able to change it, and they, they got tired, and they didn't have that X factor in the end. Although, you know, Tracy in the post late on could have, uh, mm. could have won the lot. But, you know, fair credit. At the end of the day, I'm not a big fan of grand finals for a league season. I know it's very different. Uh, the culture's yeah. different here, obviously. Yeah, yeah, it is, and you know, and you know, I suppose, you know, we're going to chat about League Two and things on the Premier League. You know, League Two plays forty-six games in a season. That's just a league season, not not counting cups or anything. Obviously, the mm. AFL play twenty-two, and the A League plays twenty-seven. Um, so, whether or not you need a grand final, I, I'm not too sure. It's kind of in between AFL. I mean, you've grown, you've grown up with it, so that's the bottom yeah. line. You know, we, you always think about the Super Bowl nature but they only play 16 games and they don't play each other you know at all they play in their own division home and away and then they there's a random kind of another 10 games so yeah. you you need a Super Bowl to work out the winners you know essentially so well we'll ask our, our listeners at 9429116 what what is the and obviously it's different for yeah. for us because we've grown up with the system of you, you have a grand final yeah, yeah. That, that is what uh, decides who is the best team of the year but yeah. um you know what is who you know is the best team of the year the team that wins the most games yeah. uh, for a home and away season or is it the, the best way to sort it out with a grand final yeah exactly and I'm getting around to the point I was I was going to try and make Sydney FC were the best team by a country mile by this far. year. Yep. Exactly. And and they were deserved winners and um I think it would be probably be a bit smash and grab if uh, Victory had gone up there and you know taken that title off them because unfortunately, well, is it unfortunate? I don't know. Nobody pays any attention to the minor premiership winners anymore. You know, especially yeah. in AFL, you, nobody really knows if they've come first or second or whatever, you know, you get the double chance and that's the only thing that just doesn't matter. Differentiates. Does exactly yep. right. Um, so in terms of where, where we're at there, the other thing that gets me about the A-League is that six out of ten teams make playoffs or yeah. finals and everything, and that's, that's, that's ridiculous. That's, it is ridiculous, yeah. you know. I think if when the A-League first started, I know it was eight teams that one played two on a home-and-away basis to get the, the honour of hosting the grand final. I think that was a much better play. Three plays four, plays the loser. That was a much more balanced final series. Um, so this, you know, three plays six, four versus five, and then, you know... You know, no second chances along the way. Not long, like I said, no, I'm not a big fan of this finals for yeah. football anyway. Because I think the season's too long. Overall, though, the victory's effort uh, last night was extraordinary. Oh, definitely. As you said, um, I think most people thought, most A League fans, not Melbourne victory fans, but would, you know, thought that they were going up to just get their runners up medals and, <laughs> and come home. But yeah. they pushed them all the way. Were you oh, surprised exactly. just with the penalties that Bessart Barisha? wasn't used earlier. The, the psychology yeah. and the organisation of penalties um, from the manager is, yep. is fascinating. Yeah, it is. And it's a massive thing. I see FIFA this week, just before the A-League final, are putting in a recommendation to change how penalties are, uh, are taken. They're going to go with a an ABBA type. They call it ABBA, yes, where yes. A-B-B-A, A-B-B-B-A. So, so you, you're not you know first, second, first, second all the time. So they're going to try and stagger it to take away that pressure of penalties and who gets that momentum in terms of the well, penalty Well, if you win the toss, exactly. um, it's a major event, yeah, yeah. isn't it? But I agree with you, yeah. It's, I think with penalty, it's better to be ahead. The old cricket analogy, isn't it? It runs on the board. Yeah. Get your penalty takers up first. And I'll be honest with you, the, I know he's a goal scorer and everything else, but Rojas was out on his feet. Yeah. He really he was. was. For, yeah. Ten minutes before the end of normal time, let alone, you know, and getting tired people and penalties is 90% mental. It really is. And tired people that are basically out on their feet don't make the best decisions. 
you know, I think the commentary said it was a good penalty. I don't think it was. It was two two to three foot inside the post at a very savable height. You know, lower is better. Higher, right in the top corner, is much better. But, yeah, it wasn't a great penalty. Beefy Blake has joined us. If you want to join us, 942-911-16. It's 15 minutes past eight. Now, tell us about the Newport, oh. uh, Newport County. Now, you want to uh, bring right. Newport County to the table? Tell us a little bit. For regular viewers, for regular listeners of what what where I'm from, I'm from Newport in South Wales, I do not support a Premier League club. People ask me, what football club do you support? I say Newport County. They say, no, really, what football club do you support? And, uh, yeah, they play in League Two um, for 200 days of the season. Newport were in the bottom two. Now, Mm. in League Two, if you come in the bottom two, you get relegated. You get relegated to non-league football. And we've talked about this time and time again. The difference between League Two and non-league is huge in terms of money you get. Um, if you're in League Two, you get £700,000 about from the Premier League and TV deals and everything else. That's, that's, that's to you for well, keeping you in existence, basically. If you get relegated to non-league, it's about £70,000. Right. So that's a massive deal. You, there is a parachute payment because you've got players on you know, full-time contracts as opposed to part-time. So it's big to stay there. Oh, it's massive. Yeah. It, and we had... Um, we had a load of stuff from Geisley Town, who are in the uh, National League in the conference, and they stayed up on the last day of the season with an injury time goal to keep them in the conference. Now, York City, who most people would have known, they beat Arsenal in the FA Cup. They've had a few runs. They they got relegated from League Two into National League last year, got relegated again on the last day of the season. York City are now going very much part-time. They had their one season mm-hmm. there to try and get back on level. But all of a sudden, they're in National League North, they're two steps away from getting back in the league. It's it's such a long road, um, and only the people that win the league, Lincoln City, have won that league, uh, who got to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. So they're coming up to League Two, the playoffs. So second play six and third place four, uh, second place fifth and third place fourth. They play off. They'll have a final at Wembley. They'll get promoted into the into the football league, into you know the big time, into uh, mm. where they want to be. Um, and that's why these these, play, these clubs exist to try and get up to the so, big time. So your story is about Newport County, and so okay. their, their predicament at the moment is what? Well, uh, well, about ten weeks ago, we were bottom of League Two, eleven points adrift of safety. Now, when you're bottom of the league, you're bottom of the league for a reason because yeah. you're rubbish. You haven't been getting the results. They uh, they sacked their manager, and in the proceed in the next. Uh, 11 games, they actually put together uh, six wins. So, last day of the season, they actually got themselves out of relegation. Yep. Last day of the season, Newport County were playing. They're home to Notts County in safety. The team below us, Hartlepool United, were, were home to uh, Doncaster Rovers, who'd lost their last three, but they were second in the league, so they were going for the title. Now, there was two points difference, and basically Newport had to do better than Hartlepool. So if Hartlepool won, we had to win. If Hartlepool drew, we stay up. Um, but if we lost and Hartlepool won, you know, it's uh, in the balance. So um, amazing scene. Seven, our normal crowd is probably just under 3,000, yep. and they survive on that. Um, they sold 7,500 tickets for this match. You wow. couldn't fit another person in. And it meant everything. I mean, that's the, the stature of this game is the fact that if you drop out the league... You're in trouble. So the stakes were high. <laughs> now you've got some audio for us. What are we about just to gotta, listen to? I've got to remind you. I'll whack this together. Um, 
out of all the kind of relief, there's pre-match interviews and everything. And like I said, the intro, the media interest is fantastic. And over the journey, it's been christened the great escape. So because, like I said, we're 11 points adrift of safety over the past few weeks, and we've knocked off teams are in the top six. We've gone away and we put together three one-nil wins on the trot. We don't score many, but on the plus side, we didn't we didn't concede many. But two weeks ago, Plymouth and Argyle were going for the title. Absolutely walloped us six-one, which also killed our goal difference. Yep. So and goal difference plays a huge importance. You know, percentage does in, yeah. in the AFL sometimes, and uh, so we were behind the eight ball totally. So this is just a review of this game and the the importance of it. And I'm going to tell you what happened. Well, you'll you'll hear from this stuff I put together. What happened? It's just absolutely amazing. Let's have a listen. Newport County have sacked their manager, Graham Westley, after five months in charge. It follows a string of poor results, which, which have left the Exiles 11 points from safety at the bottom of the Football League. Westley will be replaced by first-team coach Mike Flynn until the end of the season. What would it mean to the, the community, then, if, if Football League status was lost? Listen, it wouldn't be great, let's be honest. Um, you know, but... I think we showed the fans were still there um, during the conference, um, but that's, that's something I'm not thinking about. Um, very positive. The boys have been fantastic. Uh, as obviously they are, I've been here. And, um, you know, I'm confident because every time we've had a setback, the boys have responded, you know, amazingly. And um, that's all I can ask for. We, we were we were dead and buried when I took over, if I'm honest. But um, you know, they've they've been fantastic, and I can't praise them enough. Difficult to underestimate, isn't it? Just how important this game is to the city itself, to football in Newport. Yeah, of course. It's um, it's not just about us as footballers; it's about the whole team, about the whole club, the whole town. And if they go out of the football league, then it's a massive thing. The chairman said that he doesn't know what will happen if they do. So we're hopefully going to make that not happen, and um, it'll be a party come five thirty, seven thirty at the end of the day. Vicky. Um, I don't know if you surprised yourself, but you've been in, for us, unexpectedly great goal scoring form. No, like I've said before, I like to, I like to try and score some goals during the season, but um, I didn't think I'll score that many in one month. Uh, which has been crucial, really, hasn't it? Yeah, I've just spoken to someone about it inside, and um, although I've scored the, scored the goals, we've also kept clean sheets in a lot of those games as well. So. Have you been in a game like this where there's been such pressure before? Uh, not this type of pressure, no. I, um, obviously, I was lucky enough at Shrewsbury to uh, have the pressure at the other end of the table and um, and come out on top. So hopefully, we can uh, come Saturday, we'll be in the same sort of uh, pressure and, um, and take the win again. 7,000 in there. Um, it can spur you, can it spur the other team as well? Yeah, it probably can. They'll be out to spoil the party. But um, we've got it in our own hands for the first time in um, four months since I've been here anyway. So hopefully that's all we need inside. Are you confident you can do the job? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Do you think you deserve to stay up, Josh, on the basis of the run you've been on the last few weeks? Um, the league takes doesn't lie. And we've um, got to give some points now and we'll see if that's enough. Hopefully it is at the end of the season, but yeah, I would say we we deserve to because we've worked hard and it's um it's been a long old season and well, we'll soon find out. Get the result we need to, to stand in. Can you sense what it means to the to the city? Yeah, everyone knows the, the importance of the game and the importance of uh, survival and to stay in League Two. So uh, we're all well aware of that, and um, we're doing everything we can to to complete the task ahead.
Did you think this day would happen when Graham Wesley went to Nottingham? Uh, I think no one expected it really. I think um, it surprised a lot of people. A lot of people were really upset. Um, so the Newport, they're playing Notts County, and they basically have to win to stay up. Uh, if, they, if they win, they stay up, sorry. And they basically hope, they just need to better Hartlepool United's result, who are home to Doncaster. So, could be a mass celebration. Is that the cue to get in the turnstiles? Yeah, it Make no apologies oh, about in. it. He's in! Coming to... He's in! What? Who's in? Oh, what? in. He crosses to Rooney! Rooney takes the touch, cuts inside, goes past the keeper! And he goes! Scenes on the pitch, everybody's on. The ball gets cleared up front. It's 2v1. Armand go through, gives it to Rooney. Still got a lot to do. Throws a dummy, goes past one. Keeper comes out past him. What a goal! 2 1. Devante Rodney, Devante Rodney, who um, uh, <laughs> has, he's never scored a goal before today. They lead by two goals to one. As it stands, Newport County going down. Oh, but, but. A Newport goal would change oh. all that. A Doncaster goal would change all that. I don't think I'm going to be able to bear to get through the next few minutes. Yeah, but and There's a great block by the centre-half. It falls to McSheffrey on the edge of the box and he has a shot. And he... Oh, 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 no. oh no. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. Jeff, Mark O'Brien has just scored an unbelievable goal for Newport. He's taken the ball on his chest. This is a right-back. His skill in the box, he's taken it on his chest. He's turned on the right-footed volley into the bottom corner. The keeper's got no chance. It's a great piece of skill. Seven wow. Mm. Yeah, no wonder he's happy about it. You know, it's a great finish. And it means that... Um, we're back in it once again. There are seven minutes left at Hartlepool. It doesn't really matter. It only matters what happens really uh, to Newport. They need Notts County to score. That is for sure or all. The effort will be in vain. <laughs>
So uh, there is an amazing yeah. audio montage of what happened in Newport County. And uh, so if we are staying up. I heard that at the, at the very end. So <laughs> yeah. they stayed up. Take us through it. what actually yeah. happened on the day. So at halftime, Newport went one up and uh, Harleypool are actually losing 1-0. And this is at halftime. So we're clear. We're, we're happy as Larry. And don't forget, I'm up at, you know, it was 2.30 a.m. kickoff here. Mm. And uh, so uh, come 4.30, we're still kind of, we're kind of going okay, and even finally text. So you, can, you can watch it. You, well, we, I get the radio, and on, on Foxtel this week, they actually showed the Hartlepool-Doncaster game live because there was no Premier League games at that time, so they actually had coverage, and it wasn't on Optus, thank God. Um, so in terms of that, and 4.30 a.m., we get a text message from Finey. Looks, look, looks like you boys are staying up. It's all right. I can't believe Finey stayed up to uh, to listen <laughs> in. And, um, and then it all went crazy. Hartlepool scored two goals in the space of six minutes, and Newport conceded a goal around about that same time. So Newport is one all. Hartlepool also on a two one up. So they scored their their second goal in the eighty third minute. So there's seven minutes to go in Which the, meant that you were down at that stage. We were you relegated, were yeah. Yep. So uh, just crazy. It's the worst feeling, you know, and I'm at four thirty in the morning it's uh, you just wonder why you go through this and everything else and then the last minute of the game you heard the goal, Mark O'Brien, who's a who's a defender, he's a right back and he's cropped up in the box, on the left side of the box, totally out of position. Cross came in, he controlled it with his chest and turned and volleyed it into the bottom corner. And like I said, the place gone mad. There was seven minutes of injury time at Hartlepool because they had a pitch invasion when they took the lead. And we had six minutes of injury time, and it's the longest six minutes wow. of my life. And um, yeah, it's just, you, you just can't describe the feeling. And because... You know, I suppose the ultimate feeling, I guess, is uh, Footscray supporters, uh, you know, when they lose their club. Yeah. You know, and, and oh, that just comes over you. And, and like I said, the last five or six minutes is just unbelievable. That when, But that when that goal went in, it was just, uh, yeah, it's as though you come back to life. And, you know, at 5 a.m. in the morning and uh, it's there and somebody... What would you do after oh, 5 no, I didn't want to wake the neighbours, put it that way. But You couldn't, I, you couldn't have a drink because of your gout. <laughs> yeah, so couldn't you, celebrate. But uh, I think the uh, the best comment I've had is, uh, you know, memories last longer than dreams. That's why I didn't sleep. Absolutely. Oh, well, that's yeah. fantastic. Thanks for taking us through oh, that. Newport yeah. County. Yep. Um, they stay up. They remain so in the So we hope two. to have the... And at the start of that montage as well, they talk about we, we sacked the manager with um, with literally twelve games to go in a season, and Mike Flynn, who's had four spells with the club as a player, he is a local lad as well. He's he's stuck you know through thick mm. and thin with Newport, and he's uh, he's Newport through and through. And look, it's not the most attractive club to uh, to be a part of, and everything else. And uh, you know, you there's, there's great stuff. Is you know the best phrase about Newport County is you definitely can't polish a turd. <laughs> On that, we will take a break. Uh, we're going to talk uh, some other sports. Yep. Uh, a bit of BMX, a bit of darts, a bit of croquet. Uh, all that yep. coming up uh, right after this. It's right on 8.30. Breakfast with Gary, Tim and Hamish. Mike Sheehan, the godfather, he took aim at the Magpies. I now think it's a question, no doubt, but it's a question of not if, but when. I think Bucks is gone. And Demon's great Gary Lyon had his old club in his sights. In every game this year, Melbourne have led or been even in the last quarter. Simon Goodwin's greatest challenge is psychological. You know the easiest thing in the world to do is? Is to go out and play poorly early, as they did. Expectation gone. They got to three-quarter time, and you know what come back on at three-quarter time? Expectation. And they didn't deal with it. And Tim Watson, 
He lined up the Giants. I don't think they're on the same page still as a group. I think there are too many players that still take personal liberties and put their own performance above the team. Just a reminder, we're back Tuesday with Simon Lethleen, Tony Cochran and Ken Hinckley. Breakfast with Gary, Tim and Hamish. Tomorrow from 6 on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of footy. For Melbourne Airport parking, enjoy the drive before you fly and park at Melbourne Airport. I'm Dr. Michael Carr-Gregg for the Family Peace Foundation. Research shows excessive alcohol is one of the key factors in family conflict. The National Health and Medical Research Council recommend between zero and two standard drinks per day, on average. If your family is suffering because of excessive alcohol, commit today to limit your drinking to between zero and two drinks per day, on average. For the sake of your children, make this change today. And remember, family peace, it's in their smiles. Don't miss the massive Mother's Day sale at Patterson Cheney Toyota. This is your chance to pick up an amazing deal on a newer used Toyota. You'll win from our treasure chest either $250, $500 or $1,000 cash with every vehicle purchase. Also when you buy, you'll receive a free luxury Mother's Day hamper and a guaranteed minimum $2,000 trade-in. Conditions apply. Plus there's a free sausage sizzle, free car wash and free valuation just for visiting. The massive Mother's Day sale this Thursday, Friday and Saturday at Patterson Cheney Toyota. 200 Dandenong Road, Dandenong. LMCT 578. The round review from the Northern Football League. Hurstbridge and Whittlesey both scored round four upsets in Meadows Greyhounds Division 1. The Bridges won their first game of the year when they downed reigning Premier Heidelberg by 27 points, while Justin Sherman's six goals steered the Eagles to a four-point win at West Preston Lakeside. McLeod moved the game clear atop the ladder, while wins to Northcote Park and Bundura cemented their places inside the top four. Diamond Creek overran Lower Plenty for its third straight win in A-plus Labor Solutions Division 2. North Heidelberg, Fitzroy Stars and Watsonia all recorded percentage boosts victories. Banyul down South Morang in the Heidelberg Golf Club Division 3 top of the table clash with Epping, St Mary's and Kilmore also among the winners. For the latest news head to nfl.org.au The official wagering partner of the AFL. A win for the Western Bulldogs. Crown bet. Reward yourself. Gamble responsibly. Gamble responsibly. Catch up with the latest news and opinion on sen.com.au. Listen live on the SEN app. Download it from the App Store or Google Play. Or subscribe to iTunes to listen to your favourite SEN shows anytime. Melbourne's home of footy, online all the time. On 1116 SEN, evenings with Matt Granlund. For the Peter Jackson VFL, live this Saturday on Channel 7 at 2pm. And Trade Institute Victoria. Want to learn a trade? Go to tiv.vic.edu.au. Beefy is with us. It's 26 minutes to 9. We're about to talk uh, some darts, just a few off the SMS uh, before we do that. You were talking, telling us your story again yep. uh, off the top of the hour. 120 flights, surely a mile-high <laughs> club member, a record holder. <laughs> Now the the only problem was because we were on limited budgets, we we took the cheapest flights yep. we possibly could. So it got Plummet, Plummet Airlines, Plummet Airlines, Air India. That's right. They're, yep. they're, 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 um, so we were, you know, in the states, we flew a lot on Spirit and JetBlue and that, and uh, you know, we flew up to Singapore and Malaysia on Air Asia and things. What's like that. What's the so, worst airline you flew on? You... Uh, yeah, Frontier. Probably they charge you for hand luggage. Really? And they don't tell you? Yeah, you got a hand luggage. Sorry, sir, that's $100. What? 
What are you talking about? They no. charge you for hand yeah, luggage. Yeah, they charge you for hand luggage. Yeah, Frontier Airlines. That's a bad so rap that, for them. That is if you put something in the overhead. So if you yeah. have a bag. No, no, no. Right? Yeah, if you if if it's a handbag, yep. you can take it on. If you right. can kind of it's smallish, but anything else, if you want to put it in the locker, yeah, you got to pay. So it's the people ridiculous. just put it by their feet. Put everything by their feet. They try to, yeah, but they're they're red hot on it. They they generally won't let you through the gate if they don't believe it can fit under the under the seat. They'll they'll whack you and they make you pay. They won't let you on the flight. That it's is ridiculous. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it was. We flew and you know there's bad raps on Ryanair all over Europe. They they were fantastic. We had one instance where they tried to chase us for for money to for luggage. They're another crowd, but. Ryanair, we took it. We probably flew twenty, twenty odd flights on Ryanair, and they were fine. They were on time. They were courteous. I mean, they don't. You don't get food and stuff like that. But they were, they were all right. It, to be honest, we didn't have, we didn't have that bad experiences. Realistically, we got snowed in in Greenland. We couldn't take off leaving oh, Greenland. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we got stuck in a blizzard <laughs> up there, and uh, getting back to Iceland and uh, stuff like that. But yeah, there was no real hairy moments. I mean, it was just us being late generally and being sloppy. We got on the wrong. Uh, Around Singapore in the in the subway or the the train back to the airport, we went uh, west instead of east. Got on the wrong side of the platform and oh. ended up taking the the train was twenty five minutes longer, and we had to run through the airport to try and make the flight. But that, apart from that, that was it. Uh, one of the texts I saw, I forgot to say, it's three hundred and six is the world record. If you fancy breaking it, in a, you know, next year. So three hundred and six three hundred six three hundred six different sports in three hundred and sixty five days. That's what you did. So, yeah. So if, if people are interested in what we did, we we took we actually made a show, I suppose, for the first hundred sports we saw. We actually made a show about every sport we saw. We did interviews and stuff and just showed everything um, as much as we could. Um, so if you go to 365daysofsport.com, all the shows are there. But we also did some other fun stuff. We, we sat down. We had a one-on-one with Daniel Ricciardo. He was brilliant fun. We, we, we went to the F1 in Abu Dhabi. And Red Bull arranged for us to go and meet him and sit down with him. We did a great interview with him. And did, he was, did you get on any of these bizarre sports like you know, cheese rolling down the hill? And what's that one where they? Uh, there's a ball involved, I think, but yeah. they basically fight. They fist fight while they try to. Well, there's uh, there's Calcio Fiorentino in Florence, in Italy, where the ball is inconsequential. Yes, where that's they just, what I'm Where about. they just fight, uh, which is just phenomenal. And it was on the list, but we didn't get to see it. That's kind of where we ran out of money. Cheese rolling, the same. But like we went to the with like we talk about um, egg jabbing. Mm. Now egg jabbing. It, well, if you're a Greek heritage, you've probably done this. Is where you knock Greek, uh, where you knock eggs together and try and break the other shell. Um, so we went to the egg jabbing World Championships in uh, Peter <laughs> Lee in County Durham in England. And Rob actually he got to the semi-finals of the World Egg Jabbing Championships. But uh, <laughs> so they give you an egg at the start of the at the start of the contest, and you have to carry that egg all the way through the tournament. So. Um, you know, it just—it was brilliant doing the research, uh, finding all these things. But the Eskimo Olympics has to be seen to be believed. The we, Eskimo Olympics. Eskimo Olympics is brilliant. It's all these Inuit sports that uh, sports have been derived from living on the land and everything else. The best one we saw is called airplane. It's their blue ribboned event. <laughs> Basically, you lie on the floor like an iron cross, like a crucifix. Four big Eskimos come out. When you say on the floor, yeah, you lie in, on the in, floor inside. Yeah, it's inside. Yep. It's not on the ice. Sorry, okay. I, should, right. I should point out that it's not. We yeah. So you lie on the floor like an iron cross. Four Eskimos come out. They pick you up by the wrists and the ankles. Yep. You've got to keep your body as tight as possible. Then you walk you down the floor as far as you can hold your body tight, like like an airplane. Hence the name. So that's it. That's their blue ribbon event. The crowd go absolutely mad. It was in a gymnasium. 
This is no joke. We're in Greenland, and they locked the doors of the gym because they couldn't let any more people out. And there was a blizzard going on outside, and they just shut the door. No, no more people. That is incredible. And it was incredible. And I'll tell you, you talk about sports being derived from living on the land. They also do a sport called snow snake. Now, it's mm. you basically get a javelin, and you throw it along the ice. So it's instead of a javelin being in the air, it's along the surface of the ice. Now, they actually, in real terms, they would pound the ice and... You know, they'd make the chain and the seal, they cut holes and the seals poke their heads out to see what's going on. And all of a sudden they get a javelin through the head. So the sport is obviously how far you can throw this javelin, uh, you know, distance is the winner. But in terms of, uh, you know, sports being derived from real things, everything else, that is your atypical, you know, sport that's been handed down through generation to generation, but snow snake. But Apologies to any uh, vegans or uh, animal rights people out there, but these are Eskimos, and they, uh, you know, they have a sustainable lifestyle, that, and it, they hunt to live. We're, we're happy to take your call nine four two nine eleven sixteen. If you can actually top that as a weird, <laughs> any weird event that you've ever been to around the world, traveling nine four two nine eleven sixteen, weird sport, weird yep. kind of uh, event like that. Oh yeah, uh, give us a buzz nine four two nine eleven sixteen. But one of the better sports. We saw, we went to the World Championships of Darts at Ali Pelly. Now, if if people have a bucket list, and I'm sure SEN listeners do have a bucket list of sports events yep. they want to see, obviously the, the, the Masters is one, yep. the Super Bowl is another. What, put darts on there as well? You've got to go to the darts. And in fact, any of the Premier League matches that they show that they have from kind of uh, February through to about now, but the World Championships of Darts at Ali Pelly is phenomenal. Every night is sold out. There's 6,000 people there. The atmosphere from dart one through to the finish is phenomenal and copious amounts of alcohol are consumed. And it's obviously in December, it's around Christmas time, and mm. then they, they do the finals, quarterfinals, and up to the finals between Christmas and New Year. Even the players are drinking pints. Well, not anymore, unfortunately. They do after, I'll tell you that, for, for starters. But uh, during the match, they only drink water now. They used oh. to in the old days. If you see video from, from darts in the 80s, it's brilliant. And you can tell, tell how well they go on and just uh, from the number of pints they drink and everything. And they used to smoke as well. And the, the rooms used to be full of smoke. And uh, But they're only used to be you know a couple of a couple of hundred people so watching. was it just that you said put it on your bucket list was it's it just the, the atmosphere yeah, that it is the, the and it's a sight to behold because there's six thousand people watching i know we're going to have it here in uh in august with the world series of darts coming this way but um yeah it's phenomenal and the brit but the weird thing is half the crowd aren't brits they fly in they're loads of germans we met greeks we met spaniards really um that's what surprised me as well that all of a sudden, the worldwide appeal of darts is unbelievable. And, you know, we see it. I mean, we, we've had the beard to be feared. And uh, what's the, <laughs> the other world champion who, who won in the BDO? Tony, uh, I always forget his name. But um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of darts appeal, I mean, it's great for us in the, in the, you know, in the summertime because you wake up, you can turn the darts on. And, you know, it's good yeah. time frames for once. Um, but it's phenomenal it just the atmosphere and they everyone gets it and they dress up in fancy dress and but it is an absolute pleasure to be there because they always say one thing if the dance quality is poor the drinking yep. and the kind of the banter goes through the roof and but the atmosphere the, yeah but if the dance quality is great people are fixed on you know what they see and really get into it and uh the Premier League is no different because they, they get sell-out crowds week in, week out. And they, they've got the top eight players in the world or top ten players in the world through the tournament. And 
this week they were in Sheffield, and I think there was 11,000 people mm. in Sheffield. So uh, just running through the scores. They're into the kind of final stages. Only two. There was Before Sheffield leg, there's only two games to go, two matches to go. Uh, Peter Wright beat Adrian Lewis 7-2. Dave Chisnell, who's bottom of the league, also has put a couple of, uh, couple of wins together, beat Raymond von Barneveld 7-5. Gary Anderson beat James Wade 7-3. And the amazingly, 56-year-old Phil the Power Taylor beat undisputed world number one, Michael Van Gogh, and He beat him 7-3. Now, where that leaves the league, Van Gogh qualified for the finals on 22 points. Peter Wright has also qualified. He's 21. Gary Anderson is now in the playoffs, guaranteed 18 points. And then there is a one-match playoff between Phil Taylor and Dave Chisnell. Uh, Chisnell has to beat Taylor 7-1 to qualify. So I don't think that's possibly going to happen. But So it looks like not next week, the week after two weeks or a week and a half to go. Uh, quarterfinals will be between uh, the semifinals, I should say, at Wembley Arena. Uh, Van Gerwen, Peter Snakebite Wright, Gary Anderson, and more likely than not, Phil Taylor. So what a night of darts that is going to be. They will play semifinals and then the final on that night. Um, but if you do win the league, the the league system, you get £25,000. So that's uh, not bad work if you can get it. Beefy is with us. We're going to take a break. We'll talk a bit of BMX after the break. Some croquet, maybe, if we can fit it in as well. All sorts of sports we do in this hour. Stick with us, 942-911-16, if you'd like to join the conversation. 16 minutes to 9. It is 30 minutes to 9. Matt Granlander filling in for fighting. This is usually hour. With Beefy doing all sorts of uh, sports. We've talked some darts. Time to talk uh, a bit of BMX now. And Neil Cameron, the president of uh, uh, BMX Australia, has been good enough to join us. Neil, uh, good evening. Thank you very much for your time. G'day, lads. How's how's it going down there? Uh, nice and warm in Victoria at the moment, isn't it? Oh, no, I wouldn't say warm was the word, <laughs> Neil. Uh, we're hovering around. We're well, not too bad, actually. We're hovering around 13 degrees, so that's fairly balmy for us at this time of the night. Um, now, tell us, Neil, we were just talking off air about the AOC and, and, the, and the big vote that went on, obviously. Now, we know that uh, BMX um, is an Olympic sport. Um, were you involved in, in the vote? No, we're not, because we're uh, structured as part of Cycling Australia. So Cycling Australia are the recognised national body for the Olympics um, by the international sporting organisations, so they uh, carry the vote. Right. Do they consult you guys at all, or how how does that work? Uh, No, they haven't, but we're in the process of uh, building up a relationship with them after a few years of uh, not getting on too well. So Steve Brax... uh, somebody you'd be familiar with, yeah. has taken over cycling down there and, uh, yeah, he's going to turn it on his head and do some really good stuff. So looking forward to it. But uh, we, didn't, we didn't have a say in that. No, that's it. And, uh, no, it sounds very promising. And, and BMX, I mean, we've all seen Caroline Buchanan and Sam Willoughby have kind of taken the world of BMX by storm over the past couple of years. And uh, you've just had the national championships up at uh, Sleeman uh, Sports Centre in Brisbane. And uh, how did that travel? And I'm reading you just nearly way over 1,800 riders, which is phenomenal. Yeah, it's it's our uh, peak event of the year, of course. So everybody uh, who is involved in BMX wants to get up to the national championships and, and have a go. So it was a great week. It's actually a week of uh, cycling for us. So... Uh, yeah, we had a great time. Great weather. Queensland turned it on for us. Uh, really good racing on what is a very large and difficult track, the Sleeman Complex. So uh, it was very exciting to see some of our big names, our Olympians, uh, 
make their way back to Australia to compete at that event. As you said, you've got some big names and some Olympians there. What is the, the growth rate like at the moment with BMX, Neil? Like all sports, we struggle for uh, recognition, you'd have to say. We, uh, we're growing well. We've got some good initiatives with Come and Try Days and uh, uh, challenges to, uh, or initiatives to pick up membership. So we're growing well, but I wouldn't say we're leaps and bounds. Probably missing out on Olympic gold medals, uh, like most sports, uh, would have hurt them a little bit. And um, we see that uh, in the in the finals, that basically the, the two winners are a brother and sister uh, in the nationals as well, which is uh, keeping in the family. Yeah, look, this the uh, Kai and Saya Sakakibara. I'm glad you said uh, that. That's why I avoided it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after you've commentated for years, you get you get your tongue around that one. They're a lovely uh, young couple or young brother and sister combination. Um, Kai rides in the elite men and Saya rides in the junior women. Um, both of them are world and Olympic contenders without a doubt. So they're both over in uh, Europe racing at the moment. We've just had a World Cup in uh, in Holland and they're going off to Belgium next week for another one. So um, they're right up there and uh, good uh, ambassadors for the sport. Now, we're running, obviously, into Tokyo. What, what's the kind of countdown now? It's uh, what month are we in? We're in May already somehow. Um, so we've got probably 14, 15 months before the real run-up to Tokyo uh, starts. Yeah, basically the way cycling works, like a lot of uh, Olympic sports, is that the two years leading up to the Olympics are the real big challenge where the countries buy for points to get their maximum number of competitors into the events. So we're in a building phase at the moment, uh, blooding a lot of new young riders into World Cup events and uh, taking our academy riders to international competition. And then the serious stuff will really start with the World Cups in 19 and 20 in the lead-up to Tokyo. Neil Cameron has joined us, president of BMX Australia. Tell us, you talked about a couple of the the guys and girls at the top and competing in Europe. What sort of money um, can can the top uh, cyclists actually make? Not enough. <laughs> uh, BMX is not uh, your Tour de France as far as um, teams and money goes, etc. The real money, if you if you want to earn money in this sport, you race in the US. And even they're struggling now. They've cut back a, a lot of their uh, financial incentives for their riders. So it's a sport that, like a lot of sports, we do for the love of it. Um, we struggle through with a lot of mum and dad support, some good corporate sponsorship. Um, the AIS help us out with our uh, Olympics hopefuls uh, and our uh, top-end riders, but it's not a sport that you are going to make a killing out of. And, uh, Neil, we got, uh, obviously, in the run-up to Tokyo, I mean, I talked about, you know, we got you know 14 months before the real running starts, but is there any major world events coming to our shores? Nothing uh, that I can put down on paper quite yet, but we're certainly in discussions with some uh, state governments and some local councils about bringing a couple of World Cup events to uh, the country, um, hoping for 2019. Um, and they 
They are a, a very elite sort of event. So the World Cups are really just the best in the world in the Olympic categories. So the uh, 17 plus through to about 25, 26 years of age. Um, we can bring those. They are um, major spectacles that the public would and the BMX community will want to go and have a look at. So uh, we're hopeful of bringing those to the country in about 19. Neil, you say talking to state governments, so do you need some financial support to, to, to lure those events? Yes. Uh, there's, there's no major event that comes to any country without assistance of governments and uh, state governments, local governments, etc. So Victoria, where you are, has been uh, particularly successful in bringing uh, major events to your state. And it always requires government help but they look at the like we do they look at the benefit that comes from bringing those events to a uh, a state and look at the economic uh, impact of what having a, a large number of international competitors can do for them so yeah everybody needs government support there is no way of doing it without it Neil, thank you very much for joining us and thanks for giving us a bit of an insight into BMX here in Australia. It sounds like a sport, like a lot of uh, niche sports that uh, would like more funding and, and, and more support, but um, it sounds like you're doing a great job, mate. Thanks very much for your time. Well, thank you. And, uh, yeah, more than, more, than, more than money, we need people to uh, get on their bikes and get out and have a go. So head down to your local club and uh, see, see what it's like. Have a crack at it, Neil. Thanks very much for that, Neil. Cameron joining us there, President of BMX Australia. We'll take a break and we'll wrap it up after this. It is two minutes to nine. Craig Harper is going to join us after the nine o'clock news. Beefy uh, is with us for a couple of minutes. We're just talking off here. We are talking about darts a little yep. earlier and um, you're obviously originally from the UK yeah, yeah, yeah. and the pub culture in yeah. the UK and how it is changing I think I, went, I was in the UK about three years ago. Uh, I'd been there ten years ago, previous to that, and had noticed a lot of the pubs had a lot of had shut. Yeah, there, there weren't as many. So the no. pub culture and that darts culture, I suppose, yeah. is changing a bit. Oh, isn't it? massively, and not just that. Social sport has changed as well. I mean, I know in Newport, the the you know the local soccer leagues are now down on a Sunday, now down to two divisions where there used to be ten. You know, and cricket's the same thing. Facilities are, are just dying. Um, same Newport Midweek League, you know, 2020 leagues that we used to play in. Used to have six divisions, probably got one or two, and it's, yeah, it's killing. And it is a crowd called Weatherspoons. You're not going to complain because Weatherspoons have come in and, and built these big super pubs where, you know, you're paying two quid for a pint, you know, $3. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's cheap food, cheap, cheap, uh, cheap beer. So naturally, people are going to kind of migrate towards those places and it, it's just cut the other pubs out of the business and uh, as you say lots of pubs closing down I think I read this week there's, there's 30 pubs a week closing which isn't great yeah that's right that's a big part of, of England going there and oh, uh, exactly. going to some of these, yep. these beautiful old pubs oh, you still can't be you get to the villages though they've still got the best pubs yeah just got to say before we shoot off because I know we're finishing at nine uh, just a follow up Australia did win the McRobertson Shield in Croquet the first time in 82 oh. years. This is the Olympics of croquet, and Australia were unbeaten. And like I said, the first time since 1935 that uh, Australia have won the World Croquet Championship as a team. It's a big win for the Aussies. It's a massive win for the Aussies. Beefy, thanks for coming in. No we'll problem at all. Talk to you next week.